sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20. The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Lady Reverend Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dag Heward-Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Lady Reverend Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the Word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences, and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. So this evening we are honored to have the wife of the presiding bishop of Lighthouse Chapel International. International or not local. Help me with a clap offering. Giving honor to whom honor is you. We welcome Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward Mills. Let's do it better, let's do it better. Hallelujah. It feels very much like home. Thank you for that warm welcome. But I want you to give a resounding applause to Jesus. To Jesus. He's the reason for our gathering. Give him praise. Give him praise. Give him praise. He's seated on his throne. He sent his son to die for you and I. Give him praise. Don't be tired. Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Amen. Shall we pray? Father, your word says, unto you shall the gathering of the people be. This evening we are gathered to no man but unto you. We pray that you speak to us. Lord, I pray that you speak through this vessel of clay. Speak us unto the oracles of God. Let this word fall on good soil. Holy Spirit, apart from you, I can do nothing. I pray that you will anoint me. I pray that you will fill me. And I pray that you will bring the heart of the Father to God's people. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Please take your seats. Well, I thank God for the honor of being here this evening, and um, I thank my husband, Bishop Doug, also, who happens to be my shepherd. Amen. And I also want to salute Reverend Steve Mensah and his hardworking and lovely wife. Mrs. Jane Mensah, and Reverend Stanley and his wife, amen, and all the pastors and leaders who serve under this commission. I also want to singularly honor Mama Francesca. When she was having women's meetings, we didn't know anything about it. We were not even toddlers. So we honor you for being a trailblazer, Mama Francisca. God bless you. And bless you again and again. I also want to salute all our guest speakers, Bishop Wood and Bishop Mrs. Wood. It's very exciting to know two bishops who were ordained on the same day. God bless you. And to my lovely friend, Sister Lillian, all the way from Abidjan, God bless you. I was blessed by what you shared. And like Mama Jane said, I felt that was very deep and profound. And you have to go deeper. And I'm sure that God will give you more nuggets. And um, we will be careful the type of garments we wear. 
and we will put on the garment of praise. Amazingly, we have to put it on. Not an angel or your pastor, but we. The Bible keeps talking about garments. Put on the new man. Put on the, but the putting on depends on you and I. Thank you for blessing us. We will take off the garment of praise, of heaviness and mourning, and we will put on the garment of praise. Amen. I also want to say thank you to my lady pastors and pastors' wives for being here with me. Um, we just finished our lay pastors' conference from everywhere in the world. It's been a hectic week, and two of them were in that conference um, from Geneva, Switzerland, and from Germany, and they are here tonight. God bless you. And thank you for your support. Amen. Well, I know that you've been blessed this week. And I pray that God will speak to us this evening. Amen, somebody. I know that your topic is recovery and also recovering all. I want to say that one of the things, one of the components of recovery is restoration. Because God restores so that we can recover. Amen, somebody. And I know that we all know this favorite verse of David going to fight and then coming back and everything had been destroyed and amazingly, the people speak of stoning him as if his, his children had not been taken, as if his wife has, wives had not been taken, as if his goods had not been taken. The same experience had happened to all of them. But being the leader, everybody vents towards you. That's one of the things of leadership. And David had no one to encourage him except the Lord is God. And the Bible says David encouraged himself. Every Christian has to learn to encourage themselves. Because you get to a point where there's no encouragement coming from anywhere. And it takes you rising up in the midst of your sorrow to encourage yourself. When you encourage yourself, is the first step. And then I would have thought that, you know, he would just pursue. But the Bible says he inquired of the Lord what he should do. And then the Lord said to him, he said, shall I pursue, overtake, and recover? And the Lord said, yes, pursue, overtake, and then recover all. Amen. So I believe that restoration is a great part of recovery. And that... Um, God restores. Amen. God is a restorer. So this evening I want to talk about restoring all. Restoring all. Amen. Um, the topic of restoration is very biblical. It's not somebody's idea. Amen. It is God's idea. When you look even in the Old Testament, God, in Genesis 20 verse 7, the Bible says he restored, Sarah was restored to her husband. So God restores marriages, God restores partners, and God restores difficulties even in marriages. I mean, Abraham had been, Sarah had followed Abraham. She had not heard from God yet. Abraham is the one who had heard from God. And Sarah, being the submissive Ephesians 5, 22 woman, decided to follow. She left all that was familiar. And then when they got to a dangerous place, Abraham said, from now you are my sister, you are not my wife. And as we are going in, the king will kill me for you. So say that you are my sister. And when Sarah said that, 
the king took her into his chamber and was about to rape her. And the man, because of whom she had forsaken all and followed, was nowhere to be found. But it took God to come in bodily form and to fight on Sarah's behalf and to say to the king, were you not afraid that you were even coming to touch such a person? And then God restored Sarah to Abraham. And not only Sarah, he even gave him things that he had not lost. So restoration is not always about things you've lost, although many times it is. But sometimes when God restores, he restores more than we have lost, like in Abraham's case. Amen. And I pray that that will be your portion. In Exodus 22:1, the Bible says, If a man shall steal an ox or a sheep and kill it or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. So if you steal somebody's oxen, you are going to restore five times. So restoration is not always like insurance. They say there's indemnity. And that indemnity means you are restored to the position you were in before you suffered the loss. But with godly restoration, God gives back to you more than has been taken away from you. So then he says, if somebody takes one ox, he should give back to you five times. And if he takes a sheep, he should give back to you four times. That is God on display. Amen. You can also be restored for stolen goods, like this one, for things that have been taken from you deceitfully. Jeremiah 6 verse 4 says that if something has been taken away from you deceitfully, it should be restored back to you. And God promises in Isaiah that he will restore counselors and judges in the land. So sometimes some people or some positions are taken away and that in itself is a curse. And when God is restoring, he restores such people to make our lives better. Amen. But in looking at restoration, I want us to go to the story of Ruth. Now, Lady Pastor, what does it mean to restore? To restore means to bring someone back to a former condition, to bring something back into use after it has been withdrawn, to bring something back into use after it has been withdrawn, to repair a ruined building so that it is like its original state. So I'm restoring this part of my house because after Hurricane Harvey, I've had problems. So you are restoring from a ruined place and you are bringing it to a good and healthy place and all that is restoration. Amen. You know, the Bible says you are God's building. So when they say to repair a ruined building, it's your life. To recall, to reestablish, to resuscitate. You have gone out of breath. Your, your oxygen is running out. Restoration resuscitates you and brings you back. Amen. And so I want to use the book of Ruth as my cover story. We remember in Joel 2.25, God says, I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm, my great army, which I sent amongst you. Many times we quote this verse as if the canker worm and the palmer worm just appeared. But it was from Israel's disobedience. So sometimes you lose things through disobedience. It's not always you lose things through an attack. Sometimes you lose things because you are giving counsel and you don't take the counsel. Sometimes you lose things because you are told, you know, this fight you are fighting, the referee is blowing the whistle. It's okay. You say no. More time. Injury time. Extra time. You are playing. And because of that, you get to a place where you lose all. 
But God is a merciful God. And he says that I sent that army amongst you, but I am also going to restore everything, the canker worm, the pan- all those are types of attacks that come on us when we open our lives to Satan. The Bible says, he that breaketh a hedge, a serpent shall bite you. So it's not every time that everything that happens to us is because it just happened. Sometimes it's because of our disobedience. When we look at people like Job, he lost everything, but that was because God allowed it. So that is also another thing that brings loss to our lives. Maybe something that happened to you. Maybe God bragged about you, or God wanted to promote you, or God knew that you would survive that test, so he allowed it. And then afterwards, he came and restored more than Job had lost. When you see, you look at Adam and Eve, it was disobedience which made them lose everything they had. And God came, even in the Old Testament, God was still merciful and he restored. So we are looking at the book of Ruth, and I trust that the Lord will speak to us. Amen. If you don't know where Ruth is, then I have a problem with you. Because I always say, we know where to get weave on. We know where to get the latest cloth. But we don't know where to find the books of the Bible. May the Lord deliver us all. Amen. Well, Ruth chapter 1. We know about Ruth. We know that she was living in a land with her husband. And she had journeyed into that place because there had been a farming in Israel. And then, after some time, her husband died. And when her husband died, she still had two sons. And then the two sons married. And after that, the two sons also died. What a tragedy. Amen. Verse 3, Luke 1 verse 3. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left. And she was left. And her two sons. Sometimes you suffer a loss and you are left. Nothing else is left but you. You are left in the situation. But that first tragedy, she was left, but she had two sons. But when you read on, the Bible says in verse 4, they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Opa, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about 10 years. After 10 years, Marlon and Chilion died also. Both of them. And the woman was left. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. She didn't leave. She had been in the same place. But she was left. Because of the different tragedies that were just coming one after the other, she was left. The first thing I want to say about restoration is that there can be no restoration without a loss. So we are not candidates for restoration if we haven't lost anything. And I know that in life, we lose things. We don't only lose physical things Sometimes you lose things that are precious to you. When you lose things that are not precious, it's not a big deal. But when we lose things that are precious, then it's very difficult and it's very painful. We can lose even the joy of our salvation. David said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. When you you knew God, you were very excited You wanted to come into his house. You wanted to serve him with your whole heart. You you couldn't wait to read the word. You were so in love with him. But as you grew up as a Christian, you came across 
what my husband calls Christian surprises. And when you come across Christian surprises, sometimes you may not recover because something surprised you. Sometimes the Christian surprises are that when you became born again, you thought that everybody was heavenly and everybody was righteous. And then as you grew a bit, you realize that sometimes even what you have experienced in the world is not as bad as what you are seeing in the church. And all that can make you lose the joy of your salvation because you become disappointed, you know. And some of the things you see, like my daughter will say, it's World Cup. You know, it's not normal soccer. It's at another level. And that makes you lose your salvation. Sometimes you think that you've served God so faithfully. You've done all that you know to do. And then you see somebody maybe in the choir or another ministry with you. And by your standards, the person has not served God well. And you have been faithful. But the person seems to be remembered by God. And you seem not to be remembered. And that can let you lose the joy of your salvation. So now when we say we are going on outreach, the joy of your salvation has left you. So you are not so keen. When they say, oh, we are doing this in church. You say, I've served. Uh, what has it brought? You may not say it with your mouth, but in your heart, you have lost the joy of your salvation. But it is something that can be restored. And it is something that can be preached about. It is something that can be prayed about. It's David's prayer. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. There can never be a restoration without a loss. For him to pray, restore unto me the joy of my means that he had lost the joy of his salvation. And we know when he spoke Psalm 51, it was when he had fallen into sin with Bathsheba. And sometimes, just falling into sin, you feel far away from God. Nowadays, I ask myself about modern Christians because there doesn't seem to be any conviction. There doesn't seem to be any repentance. There doesn't seem to be any remorse when we, we do things against God. We rather become more arrogant and more hardened. But David was a man with a sensitive heart. So he said, I've lost the joy of my salvation. Please restore it unto me. Naomi could only come to the place of restoration. We'll read about that. Because she had suffered a loss. You and I have suffered some losses and some setbacks. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous. I like God because he always speaks the truth. Unlike your boyfriend who told you he will swim the ocean to see you, he will do this. That when it rained, he said, because it's rained, I can't come today. But God is not like that. Amen. So when we suffer a loss, it makes us prime candidates for divine restoration. Amen. Now when Naomi suffered this loss, the Bible says in verse 6 that she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore, she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you rest, all that. And then the two daughters cried. They didn't want to go. And Naomi was saying, look, there are a lot of problems. It doesn't look like if you go with me, it will be well. And Ruth, the Bible says, clave to Naomi. But when you look at verse 13, Naomi says, will you tarry? For them till they go, would you stay from, for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that what? The land of the Lord 
is gone out against me. The next step about restoration is to rise up. The Bible says she arose and went forth. Many times when we lose something, we are tempted to sit in it. And depression or despair is such that you don't have energy, you don't have zeal, you don't have desire to do anything. I am told that when pilots are flying and everything looks so dangerous, turbulence, and they don't know what to do, they say that just look at the instruments in the plane. Don't fly according to what is happening around. Fly according to just the instruments. And the instruments, compass, and all that combined will lead you to the right place. So even though Naomi was wallowing in self-pity and said that the hand of the Lord has gone against me, it grieves me that God's hand has gone, still, the Bible says, she heard that the Lord had visited his people. And when she heard that, in spite of the loss, in spite of the self-pity, in spite of her emotions, she arose and went forth. Now, she went not knowing where she was going. In this life, if you sit in one place, you will just be consumed. Many people, like Sister Delian was preaching, rejoice in the Lord, not because everything is perfect, but because he said so. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. And faith is not by sight. Faith is not what you see. Faith is not what you are experiencing. Faith is not what people are saying. Faith is Job saying, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Faith is getting up and going forth when you don't really know what lies ahead. You don't really know. You haven't been to the place for a long time. You have stayed in Moab for so long. You are already depressed. And you are even telling your daughters-in-law that there's no hope. But still, when you heard that the Lord had visited his people, you took a step of faith. Or if you like, blind faith. Many of us think we have to be very strong before we can do anything. But in our weakness, we can still arise and go forth. What does the Bible say? His strength is made perfect in my weakness. Paul was saying, take this away, do this, give me a breakthrough. Whatever God said, no. I have answered your prayer, but not in the way you were expecting. My grace is sufficient for you. And my strength is made perfect in weakness. So even when you are weak, don't go by your feelings. I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like seeing anybody. I don't feel like talking to anybody. I don't feel like... As many as are led by their feelings, they are the sons of God. Amen? As many as are led by the Spirit. So we do things contrary to our situations and contrary to how we feel. She said, I've heard that God has visited his people and that he's providing them with bread. Because of that, I'm going. And she was prepared to go solo. She was not expecting her daughters-in-law to go with her. And she kept saying, don't follow me because I don't have very bright prospects. Don't follow me because it doesn't look like things will work out for you. But at the same time, she was also taking steps of faith towards her restoration without knowing. When you get to the place where you think you've suffered a loss, that is not the time to stop reading your Bible. That is not the time to stop listening to messages. That is not the time to stop crying out to God. Sometimes you can't even pray, but your tears are enough. What does Psalm 56 say? I, God says that he keeps our tears in a bottle. He keeps our tears in a bottle. So tears move God. Amen? So sometimes you don't know what to say like Hannah. 
The Bible says that she was in bitterness of soul and she was just talking, whatever. But take that journey. Rise up. Rise up. So I don't even feel like listening to any preaching again. You put it on. You will be surprised. You will be surprised what will drop into your spirit. So number one, there's no restoration without a loss. Number two, in spite of the loss, you have to arise. Amen. And then, when she arose, Ruth said, you know, I'll go with you. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. Where you die, will I die. And there will I be buried. On the way to restoration, sometimes we push our roots out of our lives. Amen? Naomi had decided to take the journey. And Ruth said, I will go with you. She said, no, 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 don't go with me. No, 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 55 reasons why you shouldn't go with me. 75 reasons why you should turn back. And the Bible says, Opa, she lifted up her voice, she cried, she showed some emotion, but she didn't follow through to the end. But on the road to restoration, God gives us Ruth's. But whether we will recognize them or appreciate them is also a problem. Usually say, I don't want to see anybody. Everybody knows about my shame. I'm sure they are saying in the town that I'm a cursed woman. And Satan will give you 55 reasons why everybody is talking about you. 55 reasons why nobody believes in you. But God will give you at least one Ruth who believes in you. Paul said, God comforted me by the coming of Titus. God uses people on our road to restoration. But whether we will recognize what he is doing is also something else. Some of us, that's when we shut everybody out. Say, I don't want to know. I don't want to know you. I don't want to talk to you again. It's all over. I don't, but... It is part of the restoration process that God will bring people like Ruth into your life. Can you recognize them when they come? Amen? So God will send you people on your way to restoration. They may not always be the type of people you know or you think you should send, but you must be able to recognize them. Amen? Verse 19, so they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass, when they were come to Bethlehem, that all the city was moved about them. And they said, is this Naomi? And she said unto them, call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full. And the Lord has brought me home again, empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Ruth, Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned out of the country. Amen. On the road to recovery, you may suffer shame. And most of us stop there. When there's shame, we say, you know, it's not worth it. It's over. Nothing good can come out of this. Nothing can happen. But a verse that is not based on what is happening is Romans 8.28. For we know that all things work together for good to them that are called them who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things are not good. She has lost Elimelech. She has lost Marlon. She has lost Chilion. All things are not good. Just like the ingredients the watcher seller use, uses. The tomatoes may be rotten. But when she adds the kale to the beans and then the shito and things, 
you begin to queue to buy it because all things are working together for your good. But the rotten tomatoes on its own, it's not good. The rotten pepper, it's not good. But when she balances it, it works out for our good. The Bible says the whole city was moved. It's difficult to keep on walking when the whole city is talking about you. It's difficult to move when the whole city has its own version of what happened to you. And it's very difficult when everybody knew that you traveled for prosperity. And as you are coming back, your clothes are torn or you look some way. And you know, people have a way of, oh, I'm just asking a question. So they said, is this Naomi? I said, but I've not said anything. I'm just asking whether it's you. What they are trying to say is that your problems have so battered you that you are beyond recognition. The whole city is moved. And they say, is this Naomi? Many versions say, and the woman said, is this Naomi? Because it's always women who say more. When women should understand, they are the ones who criticize you the most. Amen? It is said that a woman understands you but does not love you. And a man does not understand you but can love you. In the case of uh, uh, Elkanah, he loved Hannah, but he didn't understand. He said, am I not better to you than ten sons? What is wrong? I give you a worthy portion. Are you not happy? From the beginning, they have never understood us. So it's not now that they are going to start to understand. But Penina understood what Hannah was going through. But her understanding did not make her walk in love. It rather made her persecute her more. And the woman said, is this Naomi? Is, is that her? We are seeing wine. Is that her? Shame. And then she buys into what they are saying. And it even causes her to change her identity. Some of you, you have changed your identity. And now you describe yourself according to the problems you've had in this life. Because that is how the world defines you. When you are filling a form, they've written, single, married, divorced, widowed. So you tick. And the way you tick is, ah, that's me. That's my definition. But who saith a thing and it cometh to pass when the Lord hath not decreed it? You see, human beings, even when God has done a miracle, they will never change your identity. Look at blind Bartimaeus. He is healed though, but we call him blind Bartimaeus. Look at the prodigal son. He came home, but we call him the prodigal son. Look at the woman with the issue of blood. Her issue was solved, but we still call her the woman with the issue of blood. That's how we are. And we describe you according to your problem. Not, oh, the woman who was healed. The woman who Jesus touched. The woman, no. Even the lost coin, it was found. The lost coin. The lost sheep, it was found. The lost sheep. The prodigal son, he came home. He said, the prodigal son. That's how human beings are. Is this Naomi? And the name Naomi means pleasantness. So they ask, is this, is this the one they call pleasant? It's an oxymoron. It, it, uh, it does, it's an irony. If she's called pleasant, look at how she looks. Doesn't look pleasant at all. And we've heard about all her experiences. She stinks. And then Naomi buys into it. She hasn't changed her name throughout all her problems. But when she comes face to face with shame, she says, call me not Naomi, but call me Mara. Mara means bitterness. From pleasantness to bitterness. And you are not just even describing your situation. You have embraced it as your identity. But if you are going to go, ladies, according to people's description and identities, you will never know who you are. Look at Jesus. They said, who do men say? They said, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist, and some say a prophet. Nobody said the son of God. 
But these three, you see Elijah, you see John the Baptist, you see an old prophet, these are the three descriptions, not what he really was. And some of you, when they say John the Baptist, ah, okay, they say I'm John the Baptist, so you will begin to act it. And you will even change your name to Mara because of what people are saying. But you cannot go by what people say. The Bible says the testimony of God is greater. The Bible says, I do not receive testimony from man because the testimony of God is greater. But we, we receive testimony from man. When they say, oh, you are not a very nice person. I'm not saying it's not true. But even if it's not true, and you are still cooperating with the Holy Ghost to will and to work in you to become a better person, you are on the road to recovery. Amen. But you let people define you. You change your, your nice name. And you say, from now on, my name is bitterness. Shame. If you serve God and shame has not come your way, I don't know. I don't know. Because shame will come your way. Shame will come your way. It is part of the journey. Some of you, you want only good things. But that's not what God promised. He gave you a prophecy. He said, many are the afflictions of the righteous. It's a prophecy. But, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Out of them all. Call me, not Naomi. Call me Mara, for the hand of the Lord has gone against me. You know, some years ago, somebody, I don't know if I've told you this story before, but somebody went to a place where they sew, and then saw a calendar of my husband and I and said, oh, this woman, I just joined their church not long ago. I've never spoken to her, but I like her so much. And then there was an old man in the house. You like who? Oh, this woman on the calendar. Hey, you are the only one in Ghana who doesn't know this story. And then the young lady says, really, there's a story? Says, yes. This woman, she poisoned Bishop Dag. She poisoned him. He didn't know. So then they rushed him to Kolebu. When they got there, they said, what have you eaten? He said, only my wife's food. When they examined what had come out of him, poison. But you see, Bishop Doug is a holy man, so he decided to forgive her. And just flow with her. Me too, I'm in my church, happy. Praise and worship. I'll be lifting my hands. This woman is in the church, this young lady. Then one day, there's a um, ministry meeting on a Thursday in different groups. Then the late Mrs. Saki says, Oh, if you just newly joined the church, this ministry, stand up so we welcome you. So this lady stands up with others. And then she said, if you have any questions about church, anything you want to know, you can ask. And this young lady said, I have a question. Somebody told me this about the bishop's wife. So every day when I'm passing on Sunday, I'm looking at her. Yeah. Is it possible? Is it probable? So today I want to ask, what actually happened? Can you imagine? I am sure she didn't keep this story to herself. It has gone from here to here to here. So then Mrs. Saki is looking after me after the meeting, looking for me. And then she goes, Mommy, you must hear this. A lady just said it and I told her it's not true. So... Next Sunday, I'll let you meet her. So I'm not interested in meeting her. So what? Why? Because I feel it doesn't matter. So it doesn't matter. Otherwise, ah, you've told her the truth, whatever. I, I, I don't think it's necessary. So up to today, I don't know the lady. It's not necessary. But I'm saying that to say that if you are going to be affected by public opinion, hey, you will resign from the ministry. Because when you hear the stories, you wonder whether they are talking about somebody else or it's a movie or it's you. But beloved, it is you. Is this Naomi? Call me not Naomi. Instead of saying, oh, Naomi, you look so poorly. 
What is it? What has been going on? No. Commentators. Commentary. Commentary. As if we choose the things that happen to us. On the road to restoration, you will go through shame. And if I were Naomi, I may not come back to that town. Because I don't want people to see me. And to say and discuss. So I will go somewhere else. But maybe that place is a place God has appointed. And it is a place of destiny. And in spite of shame and pain, you must stick with it. God will give you grace for that. I always think if I was Hannah, I would change my church. Every year we come to Shiloh. Every year my husband comes with me with an offering. And every year Penina comes with all her children. It will not be easy for me. And you know we women, it's not words. It's how we walk and how we talk. You see, Penina will just be walking like this. Where are you? Rosaline, Rosalinda, and Rosa. Come on. And where is Ebony? And where is Edwin? And where is... She wants us to know she has eight children. And you are coming. You have none. So you say, why do I keep going to Shiloh? Why do I keep going to a place of pain? Why do I keep going to a place that reminds me of what I don't have? But when you keep going, that is the place of destiny. The place of destiny is often the place of pain. And whether you can live through that pain is also something. So Hannah didn't give up going. She kept going and going and going till she went to pray. And then she met her Eli who also gave her a chalak word and it came to pass. But if she had stopped going, because in those days you prayed in the temple, she would never have come to that place. So shame is something that will deter you from being restored. But you must be able to live through pain, which many Christians these days don't have the metal for. People can say, Sister Mommy, it's very hard to work with God. I said, but did he say it would be easy? He didn't say it would be easy. He said, all they that shall live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's a prophecy. Amen. I know you won't say Mihriso, but it's a prophecy. So shame is part of our walk. And I also want to say that in our walk of restoration, we are sometimes going to trip. And it is allowed to trip sometimes. You see, when we say walk of faith, it's true. You keep your confession, you whatever. But it is not always a smooth walk. But like your child learning to walk, God knows that sometimes you will be a toddler. And like a toddler, when he falls, not, I don't even mean sin, but you falter in your faith, it's, you don't beat the toddler that, why did you fall? You know that it is part of the process. If you and I were God, we probably may not call Abraham the father of faith. Because if he had faith, why did he go and have Ishmael? And the Bible says, against hope, he believed in hope. And he was called the father of, and he was, righteousness was imputed to him. But God knows that in our walk, we may go and have a Hagar. We may, in, in terms of not being sure whether he will keep his word. But he knows that it's part of the process. And you should be patient with yourself. Amen, somebody. I'm running to the finishing line. Don't worry. The road to restoration requires us to falter in certain situations like a toddler. Even Jesus, when he was bearing his cross, he tripped at a place. So sometimes in our walk, we may stumble a bit, but God knows that it's part of it. Amen. Restoration is supernatural. When Naomi was going, she didn't know what would happen. She just decided to go because she had heard that God had visited his people. And then God used that to bring her into restoration. Amen. She said, I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again. 
empty. Empty. That's how it felt. She went out full with a husband, with promise to the promised land. Home of the brave and land of the free. Home of the free and land of the brave. She was going to a place with hope. She went out full. But when she was coming back, she was empty. In your walk, there are times when you feel you are empty. You have nothing to give. You have nothing to share. You have nothing to, it's like, Lord, I'm at the end of my rope. I went full. But you, God, have brought me back empty. That's what she said. But the comforting thing is that if it's God who is bringing you back, then there's hope. And he will see you through. I went out for the Lord has testified against me. Amen. Now when Naomi arrives in the place, she's not actively thinking about how God will bring her restoration. She's just leading her life as she has arrived. But Ruth comes and says, I want to go and glean in this field so that I can bring something home. And then Naomi says, go. And then she comes and says, I met a man. This is, this is what he said. This, Naomi gives advice on all that. It is part of the place in restoration not to concentrate on just yourself. Because when you are constantly looking at yourself in the mirror, you just look at your problems, what has befallen you. Like Sister Lillian was saying, your face is sadness, tweeted, contorted. Everything is about you. When you focus on yourself, nothing good comes out. But when you focus on him and on others, healing begins. Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58. Then shall thou call and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry and he shall say, here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity. And if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry, if you draw out your soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity. Isn't it amazing? It is when you draw out your soul to the hungry, when you satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noonday. So when you are in darkness, focus on other things and other people. Don't focus on just yourself. So self-centered. Only me. This has happened. Then you start to chronicle. From 1925, this man did this. 1930, he did it. Now we are in 1950. No. No. It's time to reach out to the afflicted and to the hungry. And then your darkness shall become the noonday. It's so amazing that rather when you focus on somebody else, your breakthrough comes. That's how God works. And many of us women are unfulfilled because we are thinking about our problems too much. And this, and he did this, and he did this. My husband has gone out. When is he coming? He's never here. He's a, you don't have anything to do in this world. Nothing. Nothing. You're always checking. Then you will call. Then he's not responding. Then I have some two ladies in my church. They used to take a car, drive, chase their unbeliever husbands, park behind the hedge, come out. I've seen you. Then, oh. On Sunday, one of them came to see me and said, hmm, this is my husband. I prayed for him for 23 years. Now he's born again and he's trying to be in love. But mommy, I moved on long ago. Oh, you have prayed. God is, I said, I, I don't know how to love again. 23 years, he should be there. You know? But I remember they told me that. They got to a place, said, every day we would take our car. Hey. Okay, then they will go, shh, hide behind the hedge, hide behind some bar, come out, shout. Hey. 
Then they decided at a point that they were tired, so they stopped. And then the husband walked in and said, Why? These days you don't ask me where I'm going. I don't see why. Rather, when she kept quiet, he became uneasy. So when you focus on yourself, nothing gets done. But when you reach out to the afflicted and the hungry, God turns your darkness into the noonday. And that's exactly what Naomi did. You know, God gives us work in his house to stop us from going to the psychiatric hospital. That is the reason. So when we call you, oh, come and save us. Hey, we are trying to save you from madness. God is trying to give you something meaningful to do. Because when you do something meaningful and you are fulfilled, you don't focus on your problems. When your husband says he's coming, you say, hey, have I finished everything I'm doing? Sometimes my husband says, I'm coming from crusades. I've missed him. I want him to come back. If he comes on Thursday, certain things will be disrupted. So I pray, Lord, convince him to come on Friday rather. There can be moments like that. Amen. Then shall your darkness be turned as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide thee continually. And satisfy thy soul in drought. And make fat thy bones. And thou shalt be like a watered garden. And like a spring of water. Whose waters fail not. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundation of many generations. And thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach. The restorer of paths. To dwell in. The one who needs restoration becomes the restorer. That is what happened in Naomi's case. She had lost more than a son or more than a husband. She had lost two sons and a husband. Ruth had lost a husband. But she forgot about herself and concentrated on making something out of this young lady's life. And when she did that, she became a restorer. And when you become a restorer, God will also restore you. Amen. Now, when you look at, I'm ending, Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be Jehovah, who has not left thee this day without a kinsman, and let his name be famous in Israel. Amen. Now, Ruth has, uh, Naomi has given Ruth all the um, tips on how to get a man and get Boaz to marry her. He said, don't speak to him until he has eaten. So ladies, don't bring your complaint until he's eaten. Okay? And verse 15. And he shall be unto thee, that's the child to be born, shall be to Naomi, a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law which loveth thee, which is better to thee than ten seven sons, hath borne him. Amen. He shall be to you a restorer of thy life. On the road to restoration, focus on others. On the road to restoration, focus on... You see, sometimes you have a need, but you rather meet the need of somebody else on the road to restoration. And when God turns your darkness into the noonday, he gives you all these promises he has talked about. And you become a restorer. But the story doesn't end there. As you become a restorer... The Bible says in Ruth 4, verse 15 and 16, that he has become to you a restorer of thy life. She got her life back. She got her life back by all these steps. And especially because she nurtured another woman. She nurtured another woman's life. You know? So ladies, not just activity, but loving the God of the activity will make all the difference. And that God 
will lead you to be a restorer to others. Sometimes, like Joseph, your dream has not been interpreted and you are interpreting other people's dreams. Your dream that you had since childhood has not been fulfilled and other people in prison, their dreams are being fulfilled. But that is because God has the master plan. And as you interpret other people's dreams, he begins to turn your darkness into noonday. And before you know, you are in the palace. How can you go into the palace if you haven't met somebody to connect you to the palace? How can you meet somebody to connect you to the palace if you don't go to the prison? And that's a place when you think, it's finished. I've lost all. I went empty, full, but now I've come home empty. Look at the life I had with my father and look at where I am now. It, they are worlds apart. But that's why Jeremiah 29, 11 is real. It says that I know the plans I have for you. You don't know it. I don't know it. Other human beings don't know it. But he knows the plans he has for you. And because you have a suspicious mind, he has to tell you that there are plans of prosperity and not of disaster to bring you to the expected end. You may think it's ashes, but God can work with even ashes. The only condition is that, give me the ashes so that I can give you beauty. Like Sister Lillian was saying, but some of us, we are holding the ashes. So there's no space in our palm to receive the beauty. But you must come to that place where you release the ashes so that he can give you the beauty. And then you will say, he has become to you a restorer of thy life and a nourisher unto you. God bless you. Stand to your feet, please. Every eye closed, every head bowed. I want you to talk to God. We are all here. But we know the Naomi moments we may have had in our lives. We know the times when we feel empty and we feel that the hand of the Lord has even gone against us. I want you to talk to God this evening. And I want you to say, Lord, restore unto me all the good things that I've lost. Because you are a restorer, I am not. God will restore. But we have to move from the past. Naomi moved out of familiar territory. She moved out of what she knew. Forgetting what lies behind, we stretch forward for what lies ahead. Father, thank you for your word that has come to your people. I pray that you prove yourself to be a restorer of their lives and a nourisher to them. I speak to dry bones, O oh God, to come alive. You asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? It is only by your supernatural power that certain bones can live. I pray for losses that have been suffered by your people. Holy Spirit, you are a comforter and a strengthener. Move in our lives, strengthen, comfort, heal, restore and make whole. You said I will restore to them their health. Let that be our portion. And Lord, for everyone who is holding ashes, give them the grace to release it to you. We don't know how you can turn ashes into beauty, but it is your problem and not ours. Tonight, we give you all the ashes of our lives. The things we've been crying about. The things that have made us lose the joy of our salvation. Lord, we don't know how you're going to do it, but we know that you are faithful. Show your people your faithfulness. Let there be a new beginning. Give us a heart to love you and to serve you with all our hearts that our darknesses may be turned into the noonday. In Jesus' name, amen. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I cannot take my seat without giving you the opportunity to give your life to Jesus. It is not old-fashioned to tell you, you may be in this meeting, but you have to prepare to meet your God. You want to say, Lady Reverend, pray for me quickly. I'm not sure whether I'll go to heaven or hell when I die. Lady Reverend, I want to be sure. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. You are like that here today. Just lift up your hands wherever you are standing. And I'll pray with you. Let it go high up. If you've lifted up your hands, come quickly. Time is against us. Come quickly. 
and give me the honor of leading you to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I saw your hands. It's not about who is on the left or who is on the right. Come to the front and give me the honor of praying for you. Come to Jesus, the living water, and he will make a difference in your lives. The young men, you put up your hands. Forget about who is on your left, who is on your right. Come. Come to Jesus. We all took this step at some time in our lives. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come, come quickly. Come, come to Jesus. And if you've come to the front, just say this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, tonight I come to you just as I am. Forgive me for my sins. Wash me by your blood. Come into my life and be the Lord and the master of my life. Jesus, thank you for coming to die to save me. Thank you for rising from the dead so that I may have eternal life. And thank you that by this prayer, I have become a child of God. And my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen. God bless you. Please, I have some books for you. God bless you. You may take your seats. Thank you. It was great having you today. To find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Heward Mills, please visit the Vision Bookshop at the Kodesh, North Kaneshi, or meet her on Facebook at Reverend Mrs. Adelaide Heward Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 0243-187-900. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.